Hey there, this is Gregory Williams, and I'm the senior pastor of Transform Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope the following presentation really inspires you to deepen your faith walk and encourages you along your journey. Enjoy the message. Praise God! Welcome to Transform Church. If it's your first time here today, we love you, we honor you, and we thank you for being part of our you know, Sunday service, and I just want to honor our pastors. Pastor Gregory, thank you for the opportunity and the honor to be able to speak in this platform. Mama Chanel, thank you for your prayers, and it's always a treat to be in church. Who feels the same way? That it's a treat every Sunday, and especially to be able to serve, to be able to, you know, share the Word of God in this platform, and I love that I, I'm able to this day, I'm able to do this freely, freely. Do you guys have, have any idea of the world we live in, of the opportunities that we have to be able to share the gospel of Christ so freely? Not everybody in this world have this opportunity like we have. Amen? Now, our church is very interactive. We're not a quiet church. Okay, so today I want us to talk to each other. I need you to help me. If you agree with me, you say amen. If you, you know, if you just, you know, if you like what God is saying to you today, write it down. If you like what God is um, exploring with you today, nod your head. Give him hallelujah. Give him praise. This is an interactive word today. Are you guys ready? Can we do that together, church? Amen. I just have a couple of thoughts that I want to share with you from God's Word, a couple of things that have profoundly impacted my life, especially recently, as I have asked the Holy Spirit to sear these little messages and imprint them in my soul. And I'm asking Holy Spirit that He would do the same thing. He would do the same for every single one of us here today. And Transform Church... I want to interrupt our regularly scheduled worship gathering with this breaking news announcement. You've been crafted and created, customized by your creator to be a catalyst for change. In other words, your arrival in this world is not an accident. Even if your birth was not planned on the part of your parents, even when the circumstances were not favorable, and even if your relationship with them is not pleasant, you are still here for a purpose. God intentionally orchestrated your existence on this earth for such a time as this. Have you ever realized why you were born at a certain year, at a certain time, and things happen in that time, in the moment of history? Pandemic. Look at us. Look at where we are. Why, God? Why am I born around this time? I could have been born 20 years ago, but why? I wonder why, God. And as Dr. Stevenson is a famous preacher, he said, great men and women are only born at the time they're needed the most. So you were born when you needed to be born. You were born where you needed to be born. You were born the way you needed to be born because God arranged your existence on earth in this period in the human history for a reason. It's your purpose, right? Which is 
Purpose is not just a reason for the existence of a thing. It's not just that existence. It's actually the reason for the existence of a thing. You don't just have a car so you can put a fuel in it. You have a car so you can go to places. You don't just build a company to earn money. You build companies to build people, to build finances, to affect the community you're with. And that's why we have purpose, which means that I can be existing and not accomplishing the thing I've been created for. And whenever you get a revelation of what you've created to do, and listen to me, you will see that your purpose is always an answer to some problems that exist in the period in human history where you exist. God is that strategic, that he creates us, he equips us, he empowers us, he gives us spiritual gifts, natural abilities, woo, acquired skills that will be needed for the problems that will exist only in the age that we occupy the earth. You are not irrelevant. Never let, tell, let, and let, never let anyone tell you that. You are uniquely relevant. You are the only example of you. Have you ever thought of that? There is no schedule for mass production of you. For any, you know, have you seen a Birkin, a designer bag? There's no mass production for those because if you mass produce those things, they're no longer unique. But this is how great God is, that God created your DNA and knit your frame in secret so he can surprise the world. And he authored how your heart expressed itself. He authored how your heart would beat. He was the architect of your smile and the melody of your voice. And the best part is that he made all of your features. Everybody say, all my features. Come on, say it proudly, child of God. All my features. With the fondest, with the fondest thought of you. Hallelujah. And because of this tender, intentional care, there are multiple facets of your life that express and should reflect the love of our God uniquely. He wove so many exceptional aspects and specific talents into the package of you, his child. And he knew that each of these attributes would be expressed best through your form. Nobody else. You're not just an asset. You're a necessity. I'm going to say that again. You're not just an asset. You're a necessity. Look at your neighbor and say, sis, you're not just an asset. You're a necessity. Look at your brother and say, bro, you're not just an asset. You're a necessity. Amen. Amen. You're not deficient. God built you by design. He wired you for his work. He knew the problems that would exist and then created and crafted you with the capabilities and the potential to be able to be an answer to some issues on earth. It's in you, even if you don't want it. It's in you. Even if you haven't discovered it yet, it's in you. Even if you don't believe it yet, it's in you. 
There's a you, you know what? There's a you that you haven't met yet that God wants to introduce you to that he, so that he can introduce the problem you've been created that only you can do, if that makes sense. That only you can solve. Here's the best part. Not only that you have to meet Goliath, Goliath needs to meet you. Hello. Not only you have to meet Goliath, Goliath needs to meet you. We need to get this. We need to understand this because in the middle of pandemic, in the middle of social and political unrest, confusion, comparison, we need to understand that we were born for such a time as this. We're surprised by this, but God was not. You know, Jesus corroborates this and verifies this in his word. His word, not mine. He tells us who we are. Matthew chapter 5, what did he say? You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus is attempting to make us understand that our existence on earth is to make contribution to earth. And I think we got it a little bit wrong because I know we're social distancing. I know we can't touch other people. We can't be near people. But there's impact that needs to happen still. And if we're going to do that, the church has to leave the building. Woo! We like preaching today. And I'm not saying we should abandon the church. I'm not saying we should leave the church. But I'm saying our impact is not within the four walls of the church. We can have a building, but we can only be the church in the world. Did you catch that? We can, we can have church in buildings, and the buildings can look as great as they can, but we can only be the church in the world. In the church, we get to sing God's greatness. But in the world, we get to demonstrate God's greatness. In the church, we get to talk about God's love. But in the world, we get to display God's love. In the church, we get to verbally proclaim the gospel. In the earth, we get to what? Show and visibly demonstrate the gospel of the ever-loving, ever-living, immutable, unchangeable, omnipotent, omniscient God that can change your life. And his name is Jesus. Call me old school, but he is still the way, the truth, and the life. Oprah can say otherwise, but he still is the only way, the truth, and the life. Let's look at the scripture, shall we? <laughs> but before we do that, let me give you the title for today's message. I am the church, so I must leave the building. Amen? I am the church. Can you, can you say it with me? I am the church, so I must leave the building. But don't leave the building right now, yeah, when I'm preaching. Let's go. The parable of the Good Samaritan. I love this scripture. I love, love, love God's, Jesus' parables in the New Testament. So we're going to go today to Luke chapter 10. So if you can go to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. That's what we're going to look at today. 
Let's go through it slowly and interactively, okay? If you can't find Luke in the Bible, it's after Mark. So you go to the New Testament, you got Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. It's the third one. You got it? If you've got it, say, I got it. Amen. Family, I love this parable so much. I love it because we get the opportunity to eavesdrop, to listen to a conversation that Jesus actually is having to someone that is a scripture expert. You know, he's a lawyer. Um, a lawyer back in the day is not someone that, you know, like Jamie. It's someone that's, you know, who's an expert in the Bible. They were not a lawyer. That's a person who's expert in God's law. They were a Bible thumper. They were a Bible scholar. And we get a very clear on Matthew, I mean, Luke chapter 10, clear and very easy to understand example of how to be a church outside of the church. And I love it because Jesus is the ultimate world changer, as we know. And here we see how he teaches through parable. Now, if you don't know what a parable is, it's a, sim it's a story, basically. A parable is a story simply used by Jesus in the New Testament to describe and teach a moral and a spiritual lesson. And back in the day, they, ordinary people didn't really have the opportunity to read like we do, to see the word like we do. Only people who are in the high places were able to read. And obviously, Jesus is trying to help people understand the word of God. So he went, you know, a couple levels down to their level. So he explained the gospel in a way that they would understand and relate to. That's how awesome he is. Amen? So, I love this. So this person, this lawyer, is attempting to test Jesus. He wants to trip him up, yeah? And he seems like a good, you know, it seems like a good motion at a time, but he had a very bad motive. So, he asks a good question. And it's a question that we should be asking him, actually. Jesus... What must I do to inherit eternal life? And I love Jesus' response. He responds to this man's question with a question. Jesus asked the most amazing questions, didn't he? He responded, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Meaning, what glasses are you wearing? What filters are impacting what you're pulling from scriptures here. Because you can't interpret it right if you're reading it wrong. Because the Bible has been used to justify all kinds of ungodly things. It's been bended. You know, you, when you bend the truth, they've done that to the Bible. Because people were not reading it right. First of all, Jesus is like that. He says, I need to know that. I need to, you know, I need to know what your motive is because I can't argue with you and educate you at the same time. So I need to ask this question so I know the problem that I'm dealing with. And what does it say? How do you read it? He says to the man. So the man answers, and because he's a Bible scholar, he knows the word by, you know, by memory. And he said, the two greatest commandments, Matthew 22, 37 to 39. 
love God with your with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength and with all your ma- all your mind and then your neighbor as yourself. Correct? He's a Bible scholar, he knew that. And Jesus said, "Cool. Do that. You got it." And then the man says, "I got another question though." I'm so glad he asked this question. He said, "Jesus, who's my neighbor? Who's my neighbor?" And Jesus said, "Ah, I'm glad you asked." So he tells him a parable. He tells him a story. Let's read verse 30. And this is my favorite part. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. I'm reading, by the way, it's a mix of um, NIV and New King James Version. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. They stripped him of his clothes, leave him, sorry, beat him, went away, leaving him half dead. So when they stripped him of his clothes, he's lying there half naked. I just want us to get a picture today. I'm a very visual person, so I like to, you know, break down the words together. So they rob him of his dignity. When they beat him, they injure him. When they leave him, they abandon him. And this is a powerful picture of what prejudice, racism, and implicit bias does. It strips people of their dignity. It injures them emotionally, physically, professionally, financially, relationally, and then it abandons them and leaves them to figure it out on their own. It's this attitude of I got up by myself, you get up. I have problems too. I overcame mine, you overcome yours. I got more issues than you. I ain't got no time for your issues. I'm not responsible for getting you into that mess. And I'm saying that because what's sad and scary and this is what we need to understand is that this was the posture of the religious leaders in the text. Because look at verse 31, a priest, the first character that we witness here in the story is that a priest was walking by the same road and he sees a Samaritan. When he saw, he swerved and went the other side. This is what he did. This is a Samaritan who's hurt, broken, beaten, injured, half naked, half dead. He saw it and he's like, I ain't got no time for that. Moves the other way. cuz I don't have to solve it if I act like I don't see it. And then the text says in verse 32, likewise a levite comes and this is another religious leader. If you know what if you don't know what a levite is or a levites, their principal roles in the temple at that time 
including um, they included singing psalms. So they were the worship leaders back in the day. And until now, actually, we still have Levites. Um, during temple services, they perform construction and maintenance of the temple. So they look after the church. They were maintaining. They were serving as guards on the temple. And they create a refuge for people during that time. So they were really, really important leaders at that time. And the Bible says, this is interesting, he too, the Levite, walks right past him. The man was robbed, beaten, injured, half naked, half dead. It's giving you a picture again. And this is what's scary. The religious representation in Jesus' story gets the doctrine right, but love wrong. The theology was probably right for them, but they got the love part wrong. They probably great in the temple, but they did not understand that the church is called to leave the building. It's not just being a Levite. It's not just about being the preacher. It's not just about being the worshiper, the welcome team in the cafe, a teacher. If you can't do that outside, I'm sorry. We're just the same religious people. That our greatness is not just displayed in what we do in our worship gathering, but our greatness is in our impact and demonstrated by what we do in the world we live in. And it took me probably five looks to get this. And because I too have been like that recently, Thursday, I was at Kmart. Don't ask me why. I love that place. Um, Kmart. And I was walking through the entrance because I needed to pick up a few things, as you know, teachers always do. And we, I was out there and I saw commotion in the corner of my eye and there was an old lady on the ground. And because, you know, I had a few moments, because you know that time you, you do many thoughts in your head. I'm like, should I? Or should I just, you know, those people there so I don't really need to go? So in my head, I'm like, I should really ask if the lady is okay. But I saw that there's people around her. And this is an old lady because I don't want to make them feel. And this is a European lady. She barely spoke English, okay? And you can tell. She's like, no ambulance, no ambulance. Because everyone's like, you have you called the ambulance? You can hear the people saying, you know, are you okay? A man was running with the water. But the thing is, I walked past. I went on through the entrance. And the hard part for me to take is that, Anna, you had first aid training for goodness sake. You care about old people. I had first aid training, I didn't even go to the lady. And bam, I came home and I said, Lord, what do you want to teach me? Parable of the Samaritan. And I didn't cause that. So I'm going the other way. I'm not racist. I'm not prejudiced. I don't understand how I should really take responsibility for helping you up because I didn't knock you down. It's this, that's the, what concerns me and I could some degree not excuse it, but I could understand if the person's perspective has that perspective that if they're not a believer, you get me? If they're not a believer, yes, I could understand if they don't do anything. But if you're a believer, 
believer, the plot should be different. But if you're a believer, I am challenged by me adopting that posture because the only reason we're standing up, the only reason we are here because God saw the problem he didn't cause. You know what the gospel is? It's the story of getting mankind out of a predicament that mankind got himself into. It's not God's fault. But God didn't look at Adam and said, well, you broke it, you figure it out. Can you just imagine how our life would turn up and turn up to be? Well, God said, this is the best part. God said, well, love does. Love makes a commitment. He said, even if I didn't help you break it, I'm going to help you fix it. Because the only reason, because part of my calling and part of my purpose is to be an answer to problems. There's a word. There's a word they used a lot in the Old Testament. And it's used less in the New Testament. It's the word anointing. Everybody say anointing. Have you heard of it? There's a word that, you know, it's not really used a lot in the New Testament. But the word actually simply refers to a unique, empowering presence that God gives to equip people to do certain works. It's not magic. It's not like, oh, gosh, oh, my God, goodness, you can do that. Oh, wow. It's that X factor, Right? It's, it's, it's that thing you can't get from study. You can't get it. It's that thing you can't get from repetition. It's like, oh, it's just something about how they do it that it's so different because they're anointed. Have you met people like that? It's just so different. Like somebody can do the same thing but didn't have the same impact. It's that anointing they're talking about you either got it or you don't got it and there's a vast difference between following an example and copying correct do you agree with that there's a difference and there's one reason why you're so frustrated when you try to be someone else far from what god called you to be life you know what i i'm almost 30 so i can say this in my age life I notice that it's like a multiple test, a multiple choice test. And the only wrong answers are the one that you do not choose for yourself. So we don't need anointing if there are no problem that God can't solve without God's help. So back to the parable. Are you guys still with me? Are we getting it? Are you understanding me? Is my accent okay? Because sometimes my Filipino accent comes out and it just goes down the train <laughs> so back to the parable the priest and the levite walks by here's what i want you to notice they're all the same race and someone else walks by the priest and the levite they're jewish and someone else walks by who's of a different race a samaritan i was jumping and dancing when i saw this the Samaritans, if you don't know, they were a group of people who lived in Samaria, the area north of Jerusalem. So they're in the northern. They're kind of isolated. And because we know historically, or if you don't know it, there's an ethnic tension between the Jews and the Samaritans. 
And it was so contentious that in John chapter 4, Jesus goes through Samaria and the disciples were so surprised that he did that. Because normally, if you're Jewish or full Jew, and G- Jesus was a Gentile Jew, so he's fully, fully Jew. Oh, sorry, a, not a Gentile Jew. Galilean Jew, I correct myself. Jews would normally walk or go through or around Samaria. I want you to picture that because they're too holy. They're too good. Can't mix it up. So you know this story. Jesus would normally go through casually Samaria and the disciples were surprised with this because he just casually goes and then he goes to this well and then he gets something to drink and then there's a woman there who was a Samaritan and Jesus engages in conversation with this Samaritan woman and the dominant culture, the Jews, they were looking, they're watching Jesus. He's always being watched by the way. And the Bible says that the disciples were so surprised by this that he even talked to the woman at the well. It was that much tension. And this Samaritan who's differently, you know, who's different, um, who's of a different ethnicity, and who we would say at that time, if you were a Jew watching Jesus, he's doctrine wasn't quite orthodox there was something they believed that was a little bit off with that it's like jesus i know you do all this crazy stuff but this is just not cool but like he had the doctrine right oh sorry he had the doctrine wrong but got the love part right do you get that He's got the, he had the doctrine wrong, but he had the love right. And here's Jesus. He was actually on his way somewhere else. But here's what he does. He stops and recognizes that God's interruptions are our opportunities. He is the greatest world changer. He is the greatest example. And I love, I want us to catch this. He recognized that God has interrupted my course of action because he only put me on this path to find this person. Not just to go where I'm going. And I cannot see this interruption as an inconvenience. You got to see this opportunity for God to use me in a way that I didn't expect he's going to use me. And this man, let's go back to the parable. In verse 33 of the parable, a Samaritan intentionally stopped from his journey, gets down his donkey, bandages his wounds, pours oil and wine on him, puts him on a donkey, takes him to an inn, and gives the innkeeper some money. And what did he say? Take care of him, and whatever more you spend on him, when I come again, I will repay you. And Jesus tells his story, and then he asks the expert of the law, again, the question, now which one of these three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which one of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man into the hands, who fell into the man, into the hands of the thieves? And what did he say? Which one? The Samaritan, the one who showed mercy on him. 
And Jesus said, exactly. Now you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. Not just wait. You go and do likewise. He said, you go and do likewise. And just as Jesus is saying to this man, I think he's saying the same thing to us, that he not only gave the great commission, which is to, t- to make disciples, he also have a great commandment, which is to love our neighbor as ourselves. As this parable shows that what it means for us, for believers, that love is not just a feeling, it's action. I'm so glad God did not just feel for me. I'm so glad that God demonstrated that love by sending Jesus on the cross just to die for you and me. Hallelujah. Some people think that incorrectly and assume that being answers to the issues of our day is simply relegated to spiritual issues. Like, you go to church and stuff, and then, you know, let's just deal with sin issues. But when we examine the life of the ultimate world changer, Jesus, we see that he did more than solve sin problems. He solved social problems. He fed the hungry. The woman who was stoned, being stoned to death, what did he do? Because it was the wrong application of the law, he intervened. When a bad religion was persecuting people, he rescued them. He healed the sick. He released the bound. He, he articulated this and clearly, clearly communicated that we do the same. He's so serious about this that he said what we do for others, he treats it like we've done it for him. Matthew 25, verse 35, for I was hungry. What did he say? You gave me food or something to eat. I was thirsty. Jesus said, you gave me um, something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me and I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Because this is interesting because for Jesus, it no, it's not just soul work. For Jesus... It's also social work. It's not just soul work. It's also social work. So for Jesus, he's always come around and deal with people's soul work and social work. You can't separate the two. For Jesus, watch this. The transformation that we experience internally should produce a desire to make a difference externally. That my relationship with God should change my relationship with God's people. And I'm not just talking about those who go to church or those super saved friends that you have. Those ones who are so nice. I'm talking about the tatted up, yes. The other races, the broken, the lost, the sick, the awkward ones, the weird-looking ones. Talking about the gays. That's right. I said it. Jesus loved the gays too. Don't forget. Yes, those of other religion than you. It's like not addressing the same issues in the marriage. You know, there's, 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 
I'm going to give you an example. There's so many of these Goliaths in our country, but it doesn't mean that we don't love our country, not to address some areas to be improved in our country because we feel like we hate these issues. But it's like, you know, in your marriage, it's like not addressing some issues. I love my marriage, so I want to address it. Correct? No? The attitude should, so should be, as far as I understand and model to me, I love it so much that I want to make it the best version. Right? So I want you to catch this. Love doesn't settle. Let's say it one more time. Love doesn't settle. Come on, say it. Love doesn't settle. You know why God's not finished with you? Because love doesn't settle. You know why he hasn't given up on you? Because love doesn't settle. He never settles. Love never settles. You know why he doesn't let you um, settle less for what he has, to you? he has the best for you? You know why he never lets you put a period where he's put a comma? Because love never settles. God knows what's in you. And he's going to work you, refine you, and transform you, and reinvent you, and restructure you, and rebuild you, and resurrect you, and restore you until you become all that he's created you to be. And I believe as close as I, as I close here from this text, Yes, that's right. I'm closing in. That's how quick, isn't it? It's like a relief for everybody. When I said close, everyone's like, ooh, here we go. <laughs> I'm just being real with you. This is what I see. When you're on, when you're on the platform like this, you see a lot of things. <laughs> you should try it sometimes. Let's swap sometimes, yeah? So as I close here, what's in this text, as we look deeply into it, it gives us some steps, some, some instructions, and some tools to put in our toolbox. And I want us to, le to leave this church. And, and Transformers, please, when you leave church, take something. Don't forget everything And on Monday is like the same. You know, every Sunday, take something, even just a phrase or a word, and meditate on that and see, just watch how God can transform your life. So in our toolbox to knock some giants down, the first tool, if you have a note, the first tool we need is epiphany. A light bulb moment. What's that, Anna? See, the Samaritan couldn't have addressed this issue if he didn't see it. He, if he wasn't um, made aware of it, right? And he saw the evidence of it. He didn't see the origin of it, but he saw the outcome. He saw it when the man was naked, bleeding, hurt. He saw him broken. And there's just things we need to see. We need to see injustice. We need to see pain in other people. We need to see depression. We need to see mass incarceration. We need to see health disparities. We need to see drug abuse. We need to see family abuse. We need an epiphany. We need to see. Because 
We can be living in our own little worlds and be consumed by our own issues and we are unaware that our brothers and sisters are hurting. And we cannot see this within the four walls of the church. You know what's sad? It's even scarier to share your situation within these four walls. You know how comfortable I am to talk to people outside church than the people inside the church? You know why? Because we're so judgmental. We forget that we're supposed to love others just like God did. We love because he first loved us. I'm just spitting scriptures. I'm just spitting scriptures. And sadly, I at some point have become that. I had to learn that the hard way. Those people who are closest to us, we hurt the most. It's very sad that we cannot even share the gospel to our own families. Those that we want to see in heaven. Who, my God. I'm so glad you did not just feel for me. You see, this man, it's, it's an example of those who are outside church. It's a picture. There's a priest. He knew the word of God. The doctrine's right, but he got the love wrong. The Levite, what's the same? You know, what I want to desire and I really desire and see is that we have this epiphany and we are worshiping with people. We are working with people, working out with people who have been stripped off their dignity and every day just having to prove that they matter. They don't have to matter more. They just have to matter. We don't have to look at the color of their skin or how dirty they are. My God, when he saw me, if you only saw because of epiphany. And we ha- when we have this epiphany, I think we have this revelation. Will, this revelation will cause transformation in our behavior because we will see ourselves in this text. In the parable, Luke 10, we will see ourselves as the one who's stripped. Life has attacked us and Jesus found us. And Jesus was the good Samaritan. And he found us all in our broken state. Don't forget how you came to know Jesus. He nursed us back to health and life. And out of that appreciation of what Jesus has done for us, he has commissioned us. We have the responsibility to do the same thing to others. How can I receive that and not give it to others? Number two, we need intentionality. In verse 33, he went to where the man was, the Samaritan. It wasn't convenient, obviously, because he had to be somewhere. He, wasn't, he had to be somewhere he's trying to get to, but he was intentional to where he was going. He deviated from his norm to enter into someone else's space. And here's the reality, okay? If you're a minority... You always have to go where the dominant culture is. That's why we migrated, right? A lot of cultures move to where the uh, Western culture is because that's the dominant culture. 
Because you can't succeed in that country without it. If you're going to work with the best places, you got to go where they are. If you're going to w- go to the best schools there is, you got to go where they are, right? You cannot succeed as a minority without going to where the dominant culture is. And all of us at some point can be a minority. I'm not talking just about race. We need to understand them, entering their space, knowing how their world works. But when you're part of the dominant culture, it's possible to be successful and have the best experiences in life and never go to where the minority culture is. But he was intentional. I want you to see this. That's not manipulation. That's love. I'm going to go out of my way. That's not partiality. That's love. Because there are some things that you cannot get from a super saved Christian, from a preacher, from a sermon clip, or a book, or Google it. There are some things that only you can only get when you have the relationship. When you're walking with life with someone. When you understand the world where you're doing life together. It takes intentionality. That's a different kind of learning. It goes from issue to a person. You can't walk past it if it's an issue. You can actually just go past it like the Levite and the priest did. You can walk past it if it's just an issue. But when you start looking past the issue and look at the person and thinking souls, you see God can be so passionate about this and people can be so judgmental I can tell you that they don't see the relationship with people who are struggling with this or that because if it's an issue you can talk about it one way but if it's a person it's different amen the sad thing is that and I did learn this the hard way we kind of treat those who are closest to us so horribly And I don't understand why. But it's not right. We don't just think differences. We need to start thinking people. Amen? The people you love. Number three, empathy. Verse 33 says, He took pity on this man. The Samaritan was not the one beaten, so he didn't know what it felt like. He didn't try to act like he knew what it feels like. He wasn't a doctor or a nurse. He couldn't deal with all of the pain. I don't know what bandages to to actually give you, but he said, the best of my ability, I'm going to enter into this pain with you. Empathy. And I don't even know what it feels like, but love, I love you so much that I'm going to hurt because you're hurting. Empathy. And I don't even know how bad you're hurting, but the fact that you're hurting hurts me and I just want to be with you some might be listening and watching and says you know um that didn't solve anything empathy doesn't solve anything yes it does because we do the same thing when someone is going through grief it's called the ministry of presence it's like when I don't have the words or the solution Because I don't always have to have them, but I'm going to be here with you. It's about when we have events, you don't really have the skills to be a part of it, but I can always be here to help because I know there's a need and I must make a difference. 
I'm going to show up because love shows up. He had empathy. He empathized without excuse. You know how crazy that is back in the day? And I love how Jesus actually gave us a picture today. And lastly, point number four, tool number four, family. There was not only empathy, there's also advocacy. It's the encouragement. It's the presence of people around you. To be an advocate includes intercession, but it's not just limited to intercession, doing things from far away. God speaks specifically about this in Isaiah 58, 6. It's not this kind of fasting I have chosen to lose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide poor, um, the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And then he said, when you do this, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. And then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of God will be your rear God. And then you call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I family, advocacy, support. This Samaritan didn't just say, oh, I feel so bad for you. Oh, he got hurt. Mm. He didn't just say that. Instead, he used his resources, his denarii, his money, his ability, his bandages, and his influence to the innkeeper to make life more equitable for someone else. That's what advocating looks like. I'm so tired of just sitting in church every Sunday and just that. That's not my purpose. You know what? If it wasn't for Transform Church and the advocacy that they've showed, the family they've showed to me and my family, I wouldn't be standing here in front of you because they acted as a church. They saw a need. I came to church one Sunday and they knew I was freshly immigrated from another country to here and they made sure we had clothes they made sure we had some stuff that we can use at home and the outpour of that that's church right there Jesus is still and always be the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the father except through him except through him amen he modeled the very action of love through epiphany, through empathy, through family, and intentionality. Amen. This world is not our ultimate home. Let me just remind you that this world is not our ultimate home, but it is our calling. You only have one life. I was watching a reality show yesterday, and this lady actually said it exactly how I wanted to say it. You only have one life. This is not a dress rehearsal. This is it. We've been called to be answers to the issues of our day. How are we fulfilling the gospel? And if the church has failed you to tell you about this gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, and you think he has forgotten you, 
or doesn't think that he cares for you today. He loves you and wants to give you his salvation and his life-changing, life-transforming love for free. You're not too far gone for God. Jesus is here. God is here available for you and for me. All you have to do is accept him. You see, God has given us all different types and degrees of resources, ability, and influence. But his expectation is whatever amount I've given you, I want you to be a good steward over it and make sure you're using it to make life more equitable for someone else, just like the Samaritan. Now, here's the kicker. In order to do this, you must love what God has given you more than what he's given you. That's scary, right? That exposes our idolatry. That exposes what really matters to you. Is it the will of God? Is it, his, is it your purpose? Or is it the things that you have around you? What matters more for you? That exposes whether or not you speak the truth, even when your voice shakes. Because you recognize, God, I love why you gave this to me more than you have given me. You didn't give me this influence just for me to enjoy it. You gave it to me to steward it. Esther, right? Queen Esther in the Bible. I didn't make you Queen Esther just so you can have pretty dresses and walk up and down the palace. I made you Queen because I knew there will come a point in the history of my people that you will have to leverage the influence that I gave you and use it for others and not just for yourself at the risk of losing it. Because you love purpose more than platform, more than possessions. And the fear of God and the love of people is greater than the critique of men and family. I believe today, if we embrace this challenge, because it's our hour, God knew the point in history, in this time, to send us here. It's not an accident. This is our time. Look at the person next to you and say, this is your time. This is your time. Come on, stand up with me and tell God, Lord, this is my time. Let's go. Let's say, God, this is my time. This is my time generations would look back on this moment and talk about how we managed it can you imagine the kingdom will be served well witness of god will be more fruitful and faithful because we steward it well and when we do this he said to us it was also said in the early church these are they they have turned the world upside down, just like Jesus did. God. Hello again, and thank you so much for listening. I really hope that message has encouraged you. Would you please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review? This really helps others get exposed to this uplifting message. I would also love for you to share this message with a friend someone you think would be really inspired and blessed by this. 
Sharing this on social media like Facebook really does help others also get this free content. I'm honored you chose to spend some of your valuable time with us. Have an amazing day.